Hey, this is John F. Murs, author, actor, and owner of 1021 Studios, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. Hey everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of Citywide Blackout, focused on the Boston Asian American Film Festival. Now, this festival has a very special meaning for us, as is one that we had the pleasure of covering back in the show's early days. In October, the festival returned for its 15th year, and my co-host Ben Chow was there for it. In this three-interview collection, he speaks with the great filmmakers whose works were screened as part of BAF. Hi all, this is Ben Chow speaking at the 15th Annual Boston Asian American Film Festival, day two of the festival. Today I'm doing some interviews with some of the filmmakers here today and I'm here with one of them and I would like you to introduce yourself and tell me which film you're representing. Sure, hi! Uh, my name's Michelle Husway and I'm the director of Nurse Unseen, which is screening right now as a centerpiece documentary. Awesome, and let's begin just talking about your film that's being screened here at the festival. Can you tell me all about it? Sure. So it's a feature documentary um, that basically tells the story of the Filipino-American nurse. I wanted to make this film because it's very personal to me. I have a lot of Filipino nurses in my family. They're the reason why we immigrated to the United States because my aunt, who is my second mom and helped raise me, she immigrated to the States and then settled in Washington, D.C., where she was a pediatric oncology nurse for Children's Hospital. So the story of the Filipino nurse is very directly related to my own personal family history. So that was the personal reason for why I wanted to make this film, but it was really going through COVID and the pandemic and seeing just how essential our healthcare workers and our Filipino American nurses were to keeping us all safe that I thought that there should be a film that just better highlights their contributions to this country. And then in doing a lot of research, I just realized there is such a rich and layered history that a lot of people don't know about that I was not taught when I was a young girl that I thought maybe my film could help share that for some people and you know I learned a lot in making this film as well so now with the film being on the film festival circuit and being able to share it in real life with people in theaters is just a dream come true. So you mentioned this is a little personal story where you're telling your story about the healthcare system with your heritage in the background so that inspired you to create this film am I correct? Correct, yes. That was the initial impetus. You know, I make films that personally motivate me, you know, where I have some personal connection to it. You know, documentaries are really hard and it sometimes takes many years out of your life. So for me, if I don't have that personal connection, I'm going to probably lose interest. But this is a story that was deeply personal to me. And that's kind of an important thing, too. If, if you have a connection, I mean, yeah. it'll help people who are viewing the film to actually get a connection to that film. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's really wise to say that. I think so too. And that's why, you know, I structured the film the way I did. You know, it opens with me as a young girl talking about my aunt and, you know, you get that personal context. But then we quickly zoom out in terms of the narrative to show that it's a much wider story. And, you know, my personal story is just emblematic of so many other Filipino families that may have a nurse in their family as well. So with this film, aside from giving a personal view from it, you also gave an objective view as well? 
Yes and no. I mean, I think there's always going to be a level of bias when you're creating art, you know, it's documentaries and especially the ones that I make aren't very like dry or purely objective or purely academic. For me, it's really about humanizing a story for the audience as well as educating them on certain issues. So yes, the film starts with that frame, that personal framework, and then we sort of march through the history of Filipino-American nursing, starting way back with American colonization, and then how that led the way for so many Filipinos to immigrate to the U.S. starting around 1965 with the Immigration Act, and then how those circumstances and that history really created where we were back in 2020, where we saw that so many of our Filipino nurses who were on the front lines of the pandemic were dying in disproportionate numbers. So another impetus for the film was this study that came out by National Nurses United in late 2020 that outlined that only 4% of the, the registered nurses working in the U.S. were Filipino, but at the height of COVID, they made up 31.5% of the COVID nurse deaths. And that number was very stark, pretty shocking. And it just added this layer of urgency for us in terms of making this film and then getting it out there in the world. We really felt it was urgent that the world learned about that and knew what our Filipino nurses were sacrificing. That's kind of shocking. That's something I never knew myself. I do know some Filipino friends who are in either the medical field or in the hospitality field. And those are like one of the two majority occupations I know of that they yeah. do internationally. Yeah, that's true. And you learn it in the film that the Philippines is a top global exporter of nurses. Amazing. So my next question I would like to ask, do you have any memorable moments while making this film, good or bad, or both? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So in the making of this film, we talked to over 20 people, which is a large number, because I wanted to create a very genuine and authoritative narrative throughout the whole film. So everyone we talked to was Filipino nurses or Filipino researchers, academics, historians, mental health professionals, people that could all speak authoritatively on our culture and what was happening and also, you know, the nursing experience. So I just had such a memorable time talking to each and every one of these people who, you know, were so brave and vulnerable and open and sharing their stories. So it changed me a lot. I learned so much. It was surprisingly really emotional getting to talk to everybody, you know, and we talk a lot about a lot of heavy things and explored in the film as well. You know, we touch upon the mental health challenges that our healthcare workers were facing. We talk about a lot about loss and grief and how nurses and our healthcare professionals have a very interesting and unique relationship to grief and how sometimes they have to compartmentalize it in order to, you know, just get through the workday. So all of that was very surprising, sometimes heavy. But we also talk about really joyful things and celebrate those moments that were really happy and fun. I remember, actually, we did a lot of filming here in Massachusetts. The Philippine Nurses Association had their annual convention in Western Massachusetts. I forget which city. I, I can look it up after. And they had it in a hotel conference room, and it was just so fun. And, they, and it's also highlighted in the film. They had all their nurses dress up as superheroes, and they really got 
got into it. And it was just like such a good time. So we also touch upon that as well. So during the pandemic, like everyone was going through like mental health mm. and the struggles of dealing with COVID, being in that particular field. So, and I think we're still somewhat dealing with that today still. Yes, so right. what's your opinion? Do you think anything has changed with that or you think it's still a progression that's a really good insight and, and question for sure, and one that begs to be asked after you watch the film. I think there are a lot of lessons that can be learned from watching this film. You're very right in, in saying that this pandemic is ongoing. Our healthcare workers, our nurses are, are still on the front lines. What our film shows is that our nurses are still dealing with the fallout of the initial wave. They still need a lot of support. Many of them went through a lot of mental health battles, just, you know, getting through. One of the nurses that we interview, that we profile in the film, he works at Elmhurst in Queens, which is one of the most hardest hit hospitals in the United States. And he tried to commit suicide because the trauma and the stress was too much for him. And we chose to include that because I know for a fact that he's probably wasn't the only healthcare worker dealing with that amount of pressure and trauma. So, you know, the pandemic may feel like it's over for some, but for our healthcare workers, our nurses who are still caring for us in those hospitals, you know, that trauma is very real. So we need to support them, better understand what they're going through and just do whatever we can. And we experienced um, one of the largest nursing strikes just recently. A lot of nurses are advocating for safer staffing, higher pay, all those types of things that would create a better work environment for them and thus for their patients. So, you know, our nurses are our patient advocates first. We just have to do everything that we can to, to support them in all these endeavors that we all are cared for yeah, properly. And, and talking about the work conditions, I mean, that seems like everybody around the world is facing that, like in terms of whatever food you're working on, like whether it's auto Hollywood, or Hollywood, or even hospitality, hospitality hospitals, Medicare. I mean, yeah. everyone's going through that right now. Yeah, so. you're right. It's a, There's a big labor movement happening right now. Yeah. I hope all this stuff get resolved someday. But you kind of did segue to a question. While making this film, was there any like new directions or challenges that you had in creating this film? Well, this was a film that was partly born out of the pandemic. So, you know, I had made other films and projects before, but this was definitely the first one where we really had to pay attention to our crew's safety in a major way. Couldn't fly everywhere. And, you know, when you're in the field, you're like really immersed and, you know, you're very close with your subjects, you're very close with your team. But in the pandemic, we had definitely had to take different precautions. So that was a new thing for us. You know, we definitely worked around it. You know, a lot of documentarians like work well with constraints and get creative and we were still able to tell our story. So in terms of the structure of the film, we decided to just focus on the East Coast, primarily New York, and the West Coast, primarily Los Angeles, and also a little bit in the Bay Area as two highest concentrations of Filipino nurses in the U.S. So that gave us some structural focus and also just kept us safe because we didn't have to travel as much as if, you know, maybe we were starting to tell this story pre-pandemic where, you know, maybe we would have been a lot more free in terms of, of our travel. And also getting in the hospitals, that was really hard as well because it was COVID. You know, you couldn't just like walk in there with all your camera and crew 
crew and, and gear. So that was a hard thing to deal with as well. But we were able to work through it with the wonderful cooperation of Mount Sinai in New York and now Los Angeles Downtown Medical Center in LA. What is the takeaway that you hope that people would learn or understand from this film? Many takeaways. Um, I just talked about one, a big one that I think is very important is that we continue our support of our healthcare workers. I want that to be ongoing. You know, we saw at the height of COVID at seven o'clock, a lot of people would go out and, and, you know, applaud the nurses and bang their pots and pans. That was just kind of a moment in time. We need to keep that appreciation long term so that they know that they're supported and that we're with them and we stand with them. So that's one. Two, I hope that nurses that watch this film, Filipino nurses, are inspired to stand up for themselves and advocate for themselves. And if something feels wrong, something feels unsafe, that they should listen to that instinct um, and, you know, yeah, just listen to, to that and advocate because um, if they're safe, then our patients are safe and, and it all zooms out, you know, mm-hmm. it just makes for a safer, a safer society. Um, so that's one thing. And then just in terms of representation of the Filipino community, not a lot of people outside of our community or outside of the Asian American community know exactly what a Filipino is or much about us. And our film hopefully will kind of help fill that picture in and show who we are um, in all our resilience, in all our humor, in our joy, and in our sacrifice and love and compassion for one another. I totally agree with you on that. Hopefully everyone understands like the culture of Filipinos and what you guys go through in this particular field, but not just that field, but just overall. And that should be the same for like any culture. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, but I'm, you know, a Filipino. I'm Filipino-American, so I feel like I can help tell this story. I hope it inspires other people to speak about their personal story and their personal um, experiences in their communities, and they can speak to that with authority. You know, like not every filmmaker can tell every story, in my opinion. This is one that I feel like I'm very honored and proud to share. I definitely agree with that. I mean, I want to do the same thing with some of the stuff about my heritage. I mean, mean, I'm a Chinese-American, so. And we all have stories to tell, for one thing. And that's one area that hasn't been tapped, and we're here to actually make that happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, so is this your first time, or your first year being at Bath? Yes, this is my very first time being at Bath, and I am very touched and grateful to be here. I told the crowd in my intro that I'm an Emerson alum. I went to school here for film, so this is kind of where it all started for me. So it's really nice to be able to come back and show you know, a film that I made. I haven't been back since my college years, really. I mean, I've come to Massachusetts, but never really, like, I haven't been back to the campus in gazillion years so it's just really kind of like a homecoming for me <laughs> so that's kind of the reason why you came back a little bit just also to visit boston again right <laughs> yeah yeah and it's just amazing that there are these asian american film festivals across the u.s that are really these dedicated 
safe spaces where we can really be the center and we can really like share our stories and not be on the fringes, but we're really like the main highlight. That's really exciting. So I think what BAF does, what other Asian American film festivals do are essential. And I'm just very, very honored to be here. I mean, talking about yourself being a filmmaker and you as a filmmaker, so what, what inspired you to be a filmmaker? Yeah. Well, growing up, I always wanted to be a storyteller, so I acted a lot. I wrote plays with my neighborhood friends, with my childhood neighborhood friends. Um, in middle school and high school, I acted in a lot of plays. And then I like discovered, whoa, you could go, you could have a career where you, that's what you do. You can make stories like that just like blew my mind. So I've always wanted to, to go into storytelling and filmmaking from a very young age. So it was just like always in me. Like I just feel more alive when I'm creating a story and collaborating with others. There's just nothing like it. It's just a magical experience. So I hope I can be continue to do this until I'm, you know, much older and much grayer. It's, there's just nothing like it. And I think having found documentary where you're working with real people and real life narrative, that that's a very important societal tool. Um, a lot of the films that I've made um, are very social justice oriented. And I've seen my films and the stories that I help share really help change hearts and minds. And that's such a powerful thing. And by showcasing them at film festivals and experiencing that tangible like back and forth between an audience and, and hearing what they have to say and those questions I mean that again I say magic again like there's nothing like it that's such a magical experience where you're teaching and imparting something but you're also like absorbing and, and learning and taking things in as well like it's so great I feel so privileged to be not only a filmmaker but a documentarian and an Asian American and Filipino filmmaker as well with, you know, a unique story and lens to share. Like, it's just, I'm very blessed. And she will also add to that as, a, as the educator to your documentary as well. Yes, I guess so. Yeah. And I'll, an advocate for certain issues. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. So as a filmmaker, what do you have any words of wisdom or inspiration for future filmmakers, especially those in the Asian American <laughs> community? It's not for this lifestyle, this career, this path isn't for the faint of heart. It's a tough road. You have to get really comfortable with the unknown and rejection. You'll get a lot of no's before you get yeses. Um, so you really have to be bold and strong and just not take no for an answer and then just try to be your biggest champion because ultimately you are your, your biggest champion. So it's about that fortitude that you need to have, that passion for your craft that you need to have because it's not this road isn't easy. There are things that can help with that. Definitely find your people, your tribe, your friends, your family, your personal community that are like-minded and supportive that can help really like nurture you while you do various projects. That's really important. You know, it just definitely takes a village. Um, what else? Yeah, I guess those are the things that are top of mind. Yeah. Nice words for people who want to become filmmakers or people to be tough and find good people to support you. Such good advice. <laughs> so, what's next for this film? Will it be featured at other film festivals? 
So Nurse Unseen, I think, might be at the tail end of its film festival run. We premiered at the Cleveland International Film Festival this past March, and we've shown at various um, Asian American film festivals across the country. Next up, we have the Immigration Film Festival in D.C., which is something I'm really excited about because I'm from the D.C. area. I know we'll have some people from the Philippine Consulate and the Philippine Nurse Association coming to that screening. So that's going to be a really great screening that I'm really looking forward to. And then after that, we're hopefully we'll figure out our distribution picture a little bit more. We've been talking about a possible limited theatrical run and then just trying to make plans for what our broadcast distribution picture will be. So hopefully there'll be a lot of updates coming up and you can learn about more about our film on our website or at nurseunseen.com. And also, we're all over social media, Instagram, at Doc. I think we have a Twitter account, but I, like, barely update it. And then we're on Facebook as well. I don't bring you up Twitter. So. <laughs> My last question I have for you today is, what's next for you as a filmmaker? Like, are you working on any other projects next or doing something else different? Thank you for asking that question because I'm actually repping two films on the film festival circuit right now. So I have another film called Food Roots that just made its world premiere at the Nashville Film Festival just like a few weeks ago. And immediately after this, I'll be going to Newport Beach International Film Festival and Chicago International Film Festival with this film. It's also a feature documentary about a Filipino-American restaurateur based in Chicago. Um, His name is Billy Deck, and he goes back to the Philippines to discover the recipes of his ancestors, and in so doing, just gains a deeper connection to his Filipino heritage and his identity, and it's really a beautiful project, and I'm really blessed, again, to be telling these types of stories and being able to, to share it with the audience across the U.S. I mean, it's so very special. So that's what the other thing I'm working on as well. I, I definitely hope to see it. And where can people find more about you and the other works as well as this film? Sure. So you can learn about me online. I have a website, michellehusway.com. I'm also on Instagram and X slash Twitter and Facebook. I'm pretty accessible. So just takes a quick Google. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time and hope you enjoy the rest of your time at the festival. Thank you. It was really fun to talk to you. I do like doing these things because it allows me to reflect on my work when normally you don't get a chance to do so. You're just like, go, 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 go. So I really appreciate this opportunity. It's really nice getting to talk to you as well. Thank you. Same here. (laughs) Thank you. Hi, this is Ben Chow for Fussily White Blackout. I'm here with a couple of filmmakers. I'm just going to go right in and just have them introduce themselves and the film that they're here for. So I'm starting with Issa. Hi, my name is George Hirose. I'm the executive producer of Photographic Justice, The Corky Lee Story. I'm Jennifer Takaki. I am the director-producer. Hi, I'm Linda Lu Wu, and I am the producer. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I saw your film t- today, and it was amazing. For those at home who's listening, uh, can you tell the audience like a little bit about the film itself? 
Photographic Justice, the Corky Lee story, is about a second-generation Chinese-American photographer who covers and documents photographically the celebrations and struggles of the AAPI community over 50 years in New York City and beyond. But this is also more about Corky Lee's life and his work, right? Yeah. It's about not only his photography, but it's about his life behind the lens. So it's a little history about like how he became who he was and the photography that's so important to him and, and going on his journey as he photographs around the city and beyond. It's also significant that he's one of the people that we lost during COVID. And, you know, he's a, a symbol of how evil that virus is and continues to be. And, you know, we're just trying to carry on his message. You know, he's not here to do it himself. And he left an incredible legacy, five decades of photography, social activism. And, uh, you know, we can do what we can, and it's not even enough. So he was a big part of the Asian community, not locally to where he's from, but basically nationwide. Yeah, Corgi definitely covered New York City for 50 years, but he also traveled everywhere he could. He definitely has been all over the U.S., not only photographing, but he also had done exhibits all over the U.S. He's done corporate exhibits all over the U.S. He has covered events all over the U.S. So, yes, he's very much known in the, I call him actually the Kevin Bacon of the Asian American community, because if you don't know him, you know somebody who knows him, you know. So what inspired you to make this film? I think Corky's message is very important about inclusivity of the AAPI community, but I really wanted to provide a larger platform for him so that people would be able to know who he was in his totality of a film. And then he could go around to the, you know, across the U.S. and tell people about his photography and why he does what he does. So while you were making this film, were there any memorable moments that you remember from making this film, good or bad, funny, amazing, anything? Yeah, so honestly, I have to say, there was never a day I got tired of filming Corky. I loved following him around, and I was so appreciative of every moment I had with him. I really enjoyed, genuinely enjoyed talking to him, learning about his photos, talking to him about his life. So honestly, like everything kind of stands out. Monumental moments would be, of course, like the 2014 Transcontinental Railroad. That was something that Corky not only photographed, but he also organized all of the Asian Americans in front of the two railroads meeting. I think that was a very pivotal photograph for him, but also in the film as well. Amazing. So making this film, was there any new direction or any challenges that you faced while making this film? I think every filmmaker genuinely has usually like fundraising, you know, that's always a thing. I think the challenges of being able to follow Corky in a way that was very genuine was also not a concern, but more just something that I organically really wanted to do. So I didn't have it mapped out of exactly where I would follow him. I really just let him take me on this journey. And so that was really important. But yeah, I think the challenges were just mainly just getting the film finished and and really kind of figuring out that trajectory of finishing a film when you really, you know, you got to get all these components in place and making sure you have all the events that can tell the story. Corky's story is so vast. So the bigger issue was just trying to cut it down to figure out how to tell a story and which elements of that story to lead in. So basically try to find the key points that emphasize or highlight his life, and even up to his last moments, he was still working, as you mentioned in the film. 
Yep, absolutely. It was always about just figuring out how to tell all of these events to make it so that people would care about Porky and therefore care about the issues that Porky cares about. And that's why we have an editor named Linda Hattendorf who was, who was able to do that so well and that people watch this film, they really resonate with Corky and who he is because he's a very funny, charming, wonderful person. He's just filled with information about history. And so he's a lot of fun. And so we really kind of wanted to make sure we got all of these kind of elements and emotions across in a film that told the story in a very genuine way. I speak that as a filmmaker myself. I mean, like documentary filmmaking, there's a lot of challenges on how to just plot the story, on how to tell that story. I've done it before. I've seen other filmmakers who've done documentary work, done the same thing. So as a filmmaker yourself, what advice can you give as a filmmaker to for future filmmakers, especially for those in the Asian American community? I think it's really important to have a really good editor. And I know I'm like banging this drum, but you need to find somebody who understands what you're trying to accomplish, who has the skill set and the heart and the mind to accomplish that. That is such an important aspect of filmmaking. If you're your own editor, then I really think that you need to surround yourself with people, whether it is an executive producer, a producer, an associate producer, like people who really care about the person or whatever you're trying to film, because that's your community. And those are the people that you're going to lean on, the people like, you know, like Linda Liu Wu, who's our producer, or George Hirose, who's our executive producer, and others who are very committed to this story. A filmmaker doesn't work in a vacuum, and we really need everyone's support to make sure that these stories get told in a really big way. And that comes with having the right people in place. So, you know, surround yourself with good people who understand and care about what you're doing. I could definitely agree to that. As the saying goes, it takes a village to make a village. I mean, especially for the film community. And it's not just your team. It's the people that are funding it, the people that screen it, the people that, you know, want to help you promote it, like everyone. It, it really is a village of people who all of our team can attest that have been and shown up to make sure that we can have the best way to get this message out. So, yeah, you can't, you can't say enough thank yous. That is for sure. So with that said, what is the takeaway that you hope people will get from watching this film? I think the best takeaway for people is to learn about Corky. And again, like if you learn about the issues that Corky cares about, you'll care about Corky, which is what we really intend to show is who Corky was as a person. You'll care about the important issues that were important to him, right? So mainly it is just that Corky was an incredible person who dedicated his life to his mission. And we can't say enough of the importance of what he did for so many communities in the AAIPI world. We really think that what he did will last for generations. He took photos that people will be able to tell their stories for generations to come. And that's the message. It really is just to support people like Corky who are out documenting their own communities, support community organizers, support people who are doing really great things. There's so many people, artists, families, you should document your own families. I'm a big proponent of, of documentation. So I think on so many levels, this film has so many messages. And I hope whatever takeaway you get, you actually apply it to whatever resonated with you. That's an amazing message. So you mentioned this in, during the Q&A. Someone asked about the future of his legacy, his work, and so forth. So how would someone going forward want to learn about Corky, like view his vast library of photos that he has done? 
one of the things I will definitely say is our film is not the end all be all of Corky. Our film is just one moment where we were able to fortunately spend that time with him. But if you do any research online, there were so many other great films about him. There were so many other great stories written about him. There are so many people who have been touched by him, who have written about him, who have participated in the webinars that were done about him. And I think it's really important to get a bigger picture rather than rely on just one film. I think our film really helped lay some of the basic foundation. But I do think everyone who has ever met Corky has their own story. So if you really want to learn about his messaging, you could just go online and read everything because everyone has a different message about him and different experiences. I think that's one of the things that's so lovely about him is he's so complicated and so complex and he's got so many dimensions to what he's done for people and, and how people interacted with him. And I think that that's a really important part of who he is and learning about him. So yeah, I think that you can learn what you want. And then I think there's so many applicable messages into how you want to move that forward. One of them is to donate to your local film festival, like Bath, for instance. Nice plug. <laughs> So based on the film that you showed with about Cookie Lee, so you're talking about his character has some dimensions. Like, so I kind of got a glimpse of the depth and kind of person he was. Like he was definitely jovial and very optimistic, kind of open-minded. He saw everything with his eyes wide open and aware of his surroundings. You kind of agree with my thought on that? Um, yes, in a dry way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean optimistic. Yeah. I mean, Courtney was a realist optimist. I mean, he wasn't just a jovial optimistic guy. He was, he, he, I think Courtney was, he knew the importance of history and importance of, of what was happening in the world. So there is the realistic side of the past and the present, but then there's always the, the optimistic side that things could get better or things could change or let's make something out of this and do something to make a difference. So I think that's more probably of an accurate description. Yeah. I think he had a very wry sense of humor. He, it's funny. He was, he was funny, you know, but he was very understated. And, I, you know, he, I don't think that, you know, you would call him jovial, you know, but he was a very keen observer. I, I think he was always taking everything in. He was always thinking about, you know, what did that person say? What does that person do? Who can I connect that person with? You know, he, he was always very aware of uh, people's attributes. And I think he, in that way, he, he was looking, looking for positives people and uh, you know if you had nothing to offer him he didn't really you know go out of his way i think to to really engage you know he kind of knew you know who was who was really important to connect with i've never met anyone that quirky didn't connect with i mean i found quirky was like very engaging on on so many levels like he transcended age and people like ethnicities he engaged people that was his thing. He had an engaging personality and he could engage anyone in terms of like whatever he was talking about because he was so funny and knowledgeable about the way he was quirky, but how he could so germanely bring in history into everyday conversation. I think that's a skill that totally is underappreciated and appreciated. We all loved it. And yet, you know, it's such an understated skill, like not everyone can do it. And that was just who he was. It was a very endearing quality, I found. I think that's definitely one of the reasons I started to film him is because mm -hmm. of who he was. So is this your first year at Bath? Or if so, what draw you to Bath? The people, for sure. Like film, we, when we've been on film circuit tour, everyone said, have you applied to Bath? Are you going to do that? 
So your your reputation for Bath and the goodness of the people and the programming and everything about what you guys have been doing here precedes you. And that's one of the really big reasons that we were so excited to be here is just we've heard so many great things about them. We love Boston. I mean, you know, it's kind of that. There's a lot of energy here. And, and, you know, we know it's a very progressive town. A lot of educated people here. And we just understand that, you know, people will get our message. I hope more people like me will, will definitely read more about him and learn about him two days to come and get to understand and know him a little more. So. And your film is one step to that path. So what's next for this film? And will it will be attending other film festivals. What's next? Uh, well, so far we're, we're going to St. Louis, Missouri, and followed by Philadelphia. And that's all we know, not right now. We're, and then uh, what's next for you guys, uh, all as filmmakers, or what do you have next as a project to do? So I'm doing a story about Colorado in Pueblo, and as it relates to my family, um, I'm Japanese-American, so it has to do with Japanese-Americans, Pueblo, and Colorado. So stay tuned. And lastly, where can everyone find you or follow up on of the film or your works as a filmmaker, like your socials or, or websites? All I can say is photographicjustice.com. We have social media, but... Corky Lee story on Instagram. There's a voice, Corky Lee, Instagram as well. Thank you very much for your time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay in Boston and at Bath. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Ben Chow at the 15th Annual Boston Asian American Film Festival, and this is day four, the close of the night. And I'm here with a filmmaker who has not one, but two films at the festival. And I'm going to have him introduce himself, and we'll go from there. Uh, hi. Hey, my name is Jonathan Shu, and I am the producer for Closing Dynasty, a short film made in New York, and also a feature film called Starring Jerry as Himself. And what can you tell about both of those films? Sure. Closing Dynasty is about a precocious seven-year-old girl who is on her way in New York City hustling and bustling and scamming as much as she can from people to make some money to make ends meet for her family's restaurant. And Starring Jerry is about a immigrant retired father in Florida who one day gets a phone call from the Chinese police saying that his bank account is linked to a money laundering scheme and he complies to investigate with them and wears a wiretap as well as follows the bank managers around and shoots surveillance photos all in an effort to prove his name as not guilty only to find out that the police are not who they say they are. And I caught some of that movie and it was really touch close to home. I mean, I mean, honestly, I got scammed myself. I mean, this actually not happened to just elderly. It couldn't happen to anyone, too. So it seems like with this two films you have in the festival, it has one big central theme about scams. Yeah. So what drove you or gave you the inspiration to create both films with that same kind of theme? Good question. I think there may be... Well, I just produced those projects the best I could... The script for Closing Dynasty was given to me by Lloyd Lee Choi, who's an amazing, talented director, and he got it through a Gold House Tribeca Netflix uh, Future Gold Fellowship program, and he asked me to produce it for him, and so it just kind of fell into my lap, and I really identified with the storyline, and I thought it was really cute. It had laughs, it had tragedy, it had a lot of emotionality to it, and so... 
And it, it was kind of like this love letter to New York in a sense, because it does touch on the idea of like how a lot of Chinese restaurants were closed during the pandemic. And so that's how I got involved with that short film. Now, as for starring Jerry as himself, that happened to my family. So I had no choice but to make a project about it. And I wasn't looking specifically for a theme, and it's not like one film informed the other in any sort of way. I started shooting Closing Dynasty before starting starring Jerry as himself. And I think it was just like a matter of circumstances, maybe if you believe in the idea of like universal consciousness, like maybe it was just on people's minds at that time. It just probably just like it was an act of fate that was going to happen that these films were going to actually be screened at the same time or made at the same time. Yeah, I mean like faith or luck, uh, whatever you want to call it, fate, uh, destiny, it could be any of those. And the only thing I strive to do is to tell good stories, stories with many layers that give you some like morally complex situations and hopefully by the end I can bring you on a very emotional journey where you can laugh, you can cry. You can be entertained and uh, hopefully change you in a, in a way. Maybe even make you want to share it with someone else that you feel like would, would like that movie. So you mentioned just now, like, this movie, Star and Jerry, was a little personal because it happened to you. Is this what also kind of drove or inspired you to actually make this film? Yeah, I mean, like, even with, uh, you remember when Parasite won Best Picture, the director was just saying, like, Scorsese said it best, make films that are personal, and Starring Jerry is going to be the most personal film that I ever make in my life because it's about my family. All other films that I make in the future will probably iteration or a copy of that or have some kind of element related to it, but I believe that, yeah, I was meant to make this movie... If I was a lawyer or something, I would have done something different for this the situation that happened to my father who was scammed. If I was in finance or something, like I would have used whatever power, what son or daughter wouldn't use whatever power they had to help fix and, and rectify something that happened to their family. I just happened to be a filmmaker, and so I made a film about it. I'm also on the same page. I'm also a filmmaker myself by trade. And as filmmakers of Asian descent, we're able to like tell outside of the story because that hasn't been done. And you've just done it with one of the two films. One of them is definitely a little more personal to you than the other. But somehow, you know, it was combined. Everything yeah. came together. The timing was right. They both happened to be on a festival run this year. So with this film, what were the memorable moments you can remember from making this film, either good or bad? Well, Closing Dynasty, I'll never forget the moment I saw Malinka Winata, the star of our, our movie, send in her audition of her rapping Kid Cudi's Pursuit of Happiness. She just like gave her 100%. She just seemed so natural, so hip, so sort of like this really awesome girl who could play the emotional scenes that we need for our film. And so I'll never forget that moment, as well as the moments we had in between takes. We would just like, I was doing magic tricks for her, or she would be drawing little soup dumpling tattoos on the crew member's arms or singing a song. And it was almost like documenting this amazing little girl, just putting her in a situation like, oh, you're recycling cans right now, and then just seeing what she does with it. For my other film starring Jerry as himself, I think, gosh, there were so many moments where I think as a filmmaker, you might identify with this, where you're shooting for a moment, you're like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> like, why am I pointing this camera at this thing right now? And, you know, I had no idea that starring Jerry would be the film that it was. You know, there's the film you write, the film you shoot, and then the film you edit. Well, in this case, it was like, there was this skeleton of a script that my father wrote about what happened to him. 
And then me and Law Chen, the director, are just filling in the blanks with creativity, imagination, what we could bring to the screen to kind of tell this story and help you empathize with Jerry. There were moments where we would shoot all day, come back to our hotel room and just look at each other and be like, what are we doing here in Orlando, Florida? We have our family and our wives at home in New York being like, what are they doing this weekend? I don't know. They, they just ran off to go shoot this film. And we had no idea what this film would be until we started editing it together and being like, okay, there's something here. So that was the most memorable part, which is like just working through the moments of doubt. And I think that happens to every filmmaker. I've been in that spot sometimes too. I've seen other friends of mine who are filmmakers that run into that spot too. That kind of actually also segue to another question I have is what you just talked about, trying to like figure out like why you guys are doing this film. Was that kind of like one of the challenges that you kind of faced while making this film? Yeah, 100%. It was just like, what are we doing with this film? If it goes on the festival, what happens if it doesn't, if no festival takes it? Could we ever sell this thing? There's no star attached. We have no pre-sales. We're just doing what we know, which is how to make films. Like, I come from a physical production background as a line producer. Lawrence directs. Yes, he can write, he can edit, he can shoot, he can direct. But neither of us knew how to sell the film or the business side. You know, who do we talk to to EP it, to, you know, market it, to publicists or sales company? None of that part. You know, we're just the filmmakers. And so that was a whole world that we discovered this year. And I think we're a little bit better at it. Now, we've learned a lot of things that we didn't know before when we were just strict filmmakers. But I think that is a learning process, kind of like you have to pay your dues and that kind of sense for any filmmaker because you just don't know what you don't know, right? So we only knew how to make the film and we're just lucky enough that it was a good film and that it's going to these festivals and people love it. Great critical reception, but still haven't sold the film. And that's another hurdle that we're still figuring out. That's one of the things a lot of filmmakers have to face is like try to get it screened. Once it gets screened, who's going to buy it and who's going to distribute it? It's a hard thing to do. Documentaries, narratives, even short films are like face that. 80% of the films that went to Sundance or something haven't been sold yet. They went to Sundance. You'd think that's the epitome of artistic filmmaking, but like it would be a no-brainer to sell those films. But that's the reality of the business. It's like it doesn't matter how good your film is. Is it sellable? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that might be a capitalistic way of looking at it. You know, maybe sometimes art begets art and art is the reason to make it. Like there's no other reason to make it than just to make it. And I think that is a good way to proceed because you really have, there's no promises after making it. So It's a hard field, but we can say as filmmakers, we're not alone. I mean, we'll all share the same burden. Yes. It's just the people who has the money, who has the studios. Right. Or is it? I don't know. I think a whole distribution model is being generated now. A new, like a new way is, is happening right now. Yeah, especially now with distribution being like all digital streaming, it's kind of now yeah. much harder to sell a film, yeah. like do anything. Because I mean, there is no return through digital sales because like no one's buying tickets for it or yeah, anything like it's that. It's hard. It's like you kind of have to be your own brand at this point. I don't know if we're straying off topic, by the way, but it's just... Yeah, but it's like, you know, you make a movie and no one watches it. Did you really make a movie? It's like we made a movie, we sold it. But if no one's watching it, did he really make a good movie? You know, like there's the whole marketing side to it too. If you make it and no one knows about it, like it kind of just dies. And so that's why I think film festivals like the Boston Asian American Film Festival 
as well as other festivals are are great because they try to shine a light and give a spotlight, a stage, a platform for artistic voices to get a higher chance of getting their story shared. Well, this is kind of would segue to a question I was going to ask later. Like comments we talked about with, about distribution of films oh. again that into, into film festivals. What advice can you give as a filmmaker to for future filmmakers, especially for those in the Asian American community? I have a great piece of advice, which is something I've learned from both Closing Dynasty and Starring Jerry. You don't need to find a star, or you don't need to get one of those stars out there. You can find your own star. You have to do the work of casting. Like we casted everywhere to find Malinka. And so, and I know she's going to be a star and I know like we can write another project for her. She's just waiting to be discovered. And so I think there is a world where filmmakers, if you're really like a nice thing about it is to find and build your own star. My father, Jerry, we've propped him up to be the star of his own film and he gets writing credit and he gets to go to all these film festivals and have his chance at the red carpet and Q and A's and stuff like that. I think as Asian American communities, we can really pull together and share, like, if you've worked with a great director or a great actor or whatever, share these resources, share these phone numbers. Like, there's no one casting for a little seven-year-old girl right now, or I guess she's like eight or nine now. I can still send her headshot in the film to another friend, just be like, if you ever think of casting a person like this, like, this is a great actor. Like, I think there's a world where we can make our own stars because right now Hollywood is only allowing a couple people through the gates. There's only like Henry Golding and Simu Liu. Who else? There's a ton of others, right? There's all the people in the Kung Fu show and all that. Or who can play an older gentleman on screen? James Hong, but what is he, like 99 now? And then what, Tai Ma and Clem Chen. There's got to be more Asian, and they, they're not even like of the star quality power of like, say, like a Brad Pitt or whatever, Morgan Freeman or something like that, when they should be. And I think that's because there's a bit of gatekeeping. I agree. I mean, even it's like all the Asian actors that we grew up on, like, like um, Mako or even James Hong you mentioned. I mean, they're Asian out. So who's the new Asian actors right, that right. don't continue our tradition of being actors and filmmakers? So. Not many have been let through the gates yet. And that's unfortunate. Maybe we just make our own. Yeah. Uh, this last question about the two films you made. What's the takeaway that you hope audience will get from these films? I think... Uh, I mean, this is so like generic, but it's like everyone has a story. If you look close enough, it's like everyone has an origin story. It might be boring to most people, but I think it's the details that count. And so paying attention as a filmmaker is what's going to help you. And I think also having a good sort of partner is key. Like me being able to partner with Lloyd or Law and really make it a collaborative experience to make films has been very fruitful because we get to reference things to each other like, oh, like let's do this shot from like Little Miss Sunshine or let's do this shot from like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or something like that. We get to just be creative and be excited about what we're shooting. And I think it's important that you recognize there is no like auteur theory. It's such a communal and you don't have to do it yourself. Like there are many people out there who just want to make a film for the sake of making a film. And so, yeah, find those people who want to collaborate and make something good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Just build your own little community to make that film is the key thing. So is this your first year at Bath? And if so, what drew you to this festival? Oh, um, I think Nate Shu was the one who really like early on in April or even I want to say like March, 
after the Slam Dance premiere, like really chased me down for starring Jerry because he saw it, he heard about it at Slam Dance, and then getting to meet Susan at Campfest was really nice. And this is my first year, and I hope to come again with another film. But yeah, they were just so nice and had you know really wanted to show both films. I, I do hope to see more of your films here because I, I like Star Jerry for what I, as much as I saw, and I, I would like to see your short film as well. What's next for, the, for both of these films and will they be featured at other film festivals? Uh, yeah, there's a couple other film festivals that they will be shown at. Like I just heard today that Closing Dynasty will be at Rain Dance. We are going for the Oscar this year. And so I know there's a lot of competition, but it's done pretty well. It, it won Best Short at Berlin and um, Holly Shorts and Best Producer and Best Actress. So there, there's all these great in audience awards there's all these great sort of fan and critical recognition that we think is going to make it a good selection for the oscars lloyd is working on his features he has a lot of features in development right now he's working with like daniel destin cretton's production company and for starring jerry we have a couple other film festivals that we plan to take jerry to the next one is in the netherlands for I think it's called Fraud Fest. And then we're also planning to work with AARP to do some national screenings with them. And what's next for Law is we have a sci-fi script also in, in progress, kind of like a father loses his mobility through Parkinson's and his son comes up with this piece of technology where he can basically puppet his dad and be his caretaker. So that's a film that we're working on developing and finding funding for right now. I look forward to seeing all those films. And lastly, where can people find more about you and your filmmakers and about more about this film, like through webs- like socials, websites, etc.? Thank you. Yeah. At Starring Jerry as Himself is the page for the, the feature. At Closing Dynasty is the page for the short film. You can find me at Shoebox Productions. H-S-U-B-O-X Productions is my Instagram. And you can find my website there too, www.shoeboxproductions.com for my production company information. Thank you so much. And hope you enjoy the rest of your stay in Boston and rest of the evening at Bath as we're wrapping up the festival tonight. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, that'll bring this episode to a close. Big thanks to Ben Shaw for taking the lead on this one and doing these amazing interviews. And of course, to the folks at BAF for helping us arrange them. If you want to learn more about the festival, you go to baaff.org. That's all for now, and I'll see you in the theaters.